Ave Maria Purissima, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Uh, since we had one of the greatest feasts on the church calendar this past week, we'll just start today with a, just a few reflections on that, and that's, of course, the feast, uh, the feast of the Epiphany. Why is Epiphany such a great feast? Because on Epiphany, we celebrate the revelation of our Lord to the Gentile nations. And of course, accepting for anyone here that's of Hebrew blood, in other words, we're, we're celebrating the fact that we're all from various Gentile nations. We're celebrating the revelation of our Lord to our ancestors, at least uh, in principle. And if we understand the condition of our ancestors at the time of our Lord's coming, it's easy to see why that's such a great feast. Psalm 95.5 is clear. It says, all the gods of the Gentiles are demons. So all of our ancestors, except for anybody here that's of Hebrew blood, were involved in, to varying degrees in devil worship. That's just the condition of man as they fell farther and farther apart after Noah. After the Tower of Babylon being scattered, they knew who the true God was, but they got more and more, wandered farther and farther away. So it's an extremely grim situation. But then, on that first epiphany, the good news that our Lord had come to save mankind broke through that pagan darkness when in the persons of the Magi, the three Magi, the Gentile nations came to pay homage to and recognize the kingship of the little Lord Jesus. And once we know that, then we can understand the Epiphany blessings. Why the Epiphany waters the way it is, the chalk, there's blessings for gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so all that. Every one of them has an exorcism on it. All the blessings with Epiphany have exorcism on it because it's all attached to the Gentiles, our ancestors, being broken away from the devils. Okay, so the coming of the, of the Magi had been foretold. You can look in Psalm uh, 71, it's verses 10 and 11, and also in Isaiah uh, chapter 60, it talks about the coming of the Magi at that point. There's more interesting details we know from tradition. We know that their names are Melchior, Gaspar, or sometimes Caspar, it just depends what language you translate in, and Balthazar. And uh, years later, th so they came and saw our Lord went back, and years later when St. Thomas the Apostle traveled to that part of the world, Chaldea, Mesopotamia, it's also called Iraq. When they got there, he consecrated them bishops. These are Chaldean Catholics. So the three men were consecrated bishops. The Chaldean church is the one that's getting slaughtered in Iraq right now, and Kurdistan and all that. There's quite a few of them over here. Some of them that came over, Saddam built a couple of Catholic churches over here for some of his people when they came over here. So yes, he did protect them, because uh, the Catholics belonged to his party. At any rate, we've made sure that since the come of Islam, it's no longer safe for the Catholics, thanks to the U.S. government. But uh, these guys, these three men, St. Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar, are saints. The relics were moved ahead of the Muslims, and so the relics right now are in Cologne Cathedral. St. Helena took them back, and then they moved from, uh, I think they're in Constantinople, I don't remember, but they were moved. They're in Cologne Cathedral in Germany. That's where their relics are right now, of the three wise men. Uh, Christian art uh, usually portrays them, even though they're Chaldeans, but, it, but Christian art usually portrays them symbolically to represent all the Gentile nations. Because certainly spiritually they do it, but symbolically. And the way they do that, you know Noah had three sons. Shem, he's the, the eldest son. In fact, he's the only good eldest son besides the Lord in the Bible. That's kind of interesting. So you have Shem, Japheth, and Ham. And, and Shem is the, 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 the father of, he's the ancestor of all the Semitic peoples. 
the Semitic peoples, like the Hebrews, like m many of the Arabs, but not all of them, and so forth. That's, that's Shem. Uh, Japheth is the ancestor of, for example, the European peoples. There are other ones, too. The ones in, in, in Central and Western Asia and Europe, those are, those are sons of Japheth for the most part, although there are some over in the Indian subcontinent and all that. And Ham, Ham's children are, are the most widespread. These are the real travelers. So they went down into Egypt, also down into Africa, over into Asia, China, Mongolia, over into America and all that. So Ham is all over the world, was the, was the one that his, his ancestor, or his uh, progeny spread most of the world. So symbolically it's portrayed. This one isn't quite as clear. I assume the middle one is Shem, who's the firstborn, so he should actually be in the front. But he's usually pictured as a Middle Easterner with a turban. They all have turbans, but one there. One, two of them have crowns and he doesn't. And he's usually painted to look like a Middle Easterner. Japheth is, is uh, usually painted to look like a European. And Ham is painted to look like an African. The reason why it's symbolic, because th th certainly they weren't three different races like that or whatever, they're one tribe, but it symbolizes all our ancestors coming in their, their persons before, before the Lord. So that's just a little bit about epiphany and the significance. We could go on, but, uh, but we have other things to talk about today. But uh, it's such a great feast, you didn't want didn't to miss on that. Okay, so now let's shift gears to today's feast. It's the feast of the Holy Family. And we'll start by asking ourselves a question. What is going on these days? What happened to family life? Why is family life such a catastrophe? And we're going to turn to Our Lady in the hopes of finding some answers. Now we all know that in July of 1917, Our Lady gave that bone-chilling warning to the children of Fatima when she said, the war is going to end. She's speaking of World War I. The war is going to end. But if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out in the reign of Pius XI. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world. Close quote, Our Lady of Fatima. So what happened? Well, in the first place, men didn't cease offending God. We've all heard of the Roaring Twenties right here in the U.S., but it wasn't just here. Just to give you some idea what that period immediately after the First World War was like, morally speaking, we'll consider just two statistics. One taken from 1925 and one taken from 1929 in a Catholic country. The, we're talking about the population of France, a, a country that's traditionally known as the eldest daughter of the church. Now listen to this. And by the way, these are official statistics released by the French Ministry of Health. Now listen to this. In 1925, four million Frenchmen were infected with syphilis. Four million Frenchmen. Four million Frenchmen infected with syphilis, a disease for which at that time there was absolutely no cure. Let's put that immense number, those four million syphilitics, in perspective. The total population of France at that time was just a hair over 40 million. What are we saying? We're saying that 
of the French population was infected with syphilis in 1925. That's the Roaring Twenties. One more statistic. In 1929, this is just four years later. In 1929, the number of syphilitics in France was put at 8 million. In just four years, those numbers had doubled. Eight million Frenchmen infected with syphilis. The total population in 1929 was 41.5 million. So in four years, the infection rate had risen to almost 20% of the French population. Almost 20% infected with syphilis. These are their government statistics. In other words, France was just one giant brothel. If people don't cease offending God, a worse war will break out. So that's the first point. Men didn't cease offending God. In the second place, a worse war, World War II, broke out just as Our Lady had prophesied. Should we be surprised? In the third place, Russia, which at the time of Our Lady's apparition was an Eastern Orthodox country ruled by the Tsar, became an atheistic Marxist empire. And in the fourth place, Russia began spreading her errors throughout the world. Now if these errors are so serious that the Blessed Virgin Mary came down from heaven, warned us about them, and then performed the greatest miracle since gospel times in order to draw our attention to and confirm her warning, we ought to sit right up and pay attention. So today on the Feast of the Holy Family, let's take a few minutes to consider some of the errors of Russia that have spread until they affect family life here today in our own country. We'll take a brief look at this problem from two different angles. With regards to the first point of view, we'll start with the teachings of the popes. We'll take a very general look at the church's teaching about atheistic communism. Then we'll take a quick look at how the errors of Russia were, managed to spread so rapidly throughout the world. And finally, we'll take a quick survey of some of the principal errors that pertain to family life. So that's our particular focus. There's plenty more than this. We're just focusing on things that pertain to the family, okay? Then after we're done with that, We'll turn to a different look. We'll take a quick look at this problem from another point of view. So we're going to take two different points of view. So part one, a very general look at church teaching considering atheistic communism. In 1937, it's 20 years after Our Lady appeared in Fatima, Pope Pius XI wrote the encyclical on atheistic communism, precisely to warn the faithful about Russia's errors. So we'll start here. For the sake of time, I'll cut and splice quotes as usual. Pope Pius XI, quote, Atheistic communism aims at upsetting the social order and undermining the very foundations of Christian civilization. For the first time in history, we are witnessing a struggle, cold-blooded in purpose, and mapped out to the least detail between man and all that is called God, close quote. Now that is really interesting. Because right there, the Pope is quoting from 2 Thessalonians 2.4.
That's the section that St. Paul is writing about the Antichrist. Quote, this satanic scourge is in opposition both to reason and to divine revelation. Entire peoples find themselves in danger of falling back into a barbarism worse than that which oppressed the greater part of the world at the coming of the Redeemer. Well, look around. Here we are. The Pope, see to it that the faithful do not allow themselves to be deceived. Communism is intrinsically wrong, and no one who would save Christian civilization may collaborate with it in any undertaking whatsoever. Those who permit themselves to be deceived into lending their aid towards the triumph of communism in their own country will be the first to fall victims of their error. He continues, The evil which torments humanity can be conquered only by a worldwide crusade of prayer and penance. Implore also the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Virgin, who having crushed the head of the serpent of old, remains the sure protectress and invincible help of Christians. Close quote. So, before we go on, quick look. We've seen Our Lady of Fatima warn mankind that if they didn't stop offending God, Russia would spread her heirs throughout the world. We've seen that Pope Pius XI called communism a satanic scourge. He taught that it's intrinsically evil. There's not many things that are intrinsically evil. This is one of them. And that men find themselves in danger of falling back into a pagan state even more barbaric than that which prevailed at the time of our Lord. And that this world, this could only be conquered by a worldwide crusade, a, a penance and prayer through the intercession of Our Lady. Part two, a quick look at just how the heirs of Russia spread so rapidly throughout the world. The Pope explains. Pius XI, how is it possible that such a system could spread so rapidly in all parts of the world? Now, there's more than what the Pope has said here. Some other day, we're going to get more details. We're just going to look at one aspect of what he said here. There is an explanation for the rapid diffusion of the communistic ideas now seeping into every nation, great and small, advanced and backward, so that no corner of the earth is free from them. This explanation is to be found in a propaganda so truly diabolical that the world has perhaps never witnessed its like before. It is directed from one common center. It is shrewdly adapted to the various conditions of diverse peoples. It has at its disposal great financial resources, gigantic organizations, international congresses, and countless trained workers. It makes use of pamphlets and reviews, of cinema, theater, and radio, of schools, and even universities. Little by little, it penetrates into all classes of the people and even reaches the better-minded groups of the community, with the result that few are aware of the poison which increasingly pervades their minds and hearts. He continues, Another powerful factor in the diffusion of communism is the conspiracy of silence on the part of a large section of the non-Catholic press of the world. We say conspiracy because it is impossible otherwise to explain how a press usually so eager to exploit even the little daily incidents of life has been able to remain silent for so long about the horrors perpetrated in Russia and elsewhere and that it should have relatively so little to say concerning a world organization as vast as Russian communism. This silence is due in part to short-sighted political policy and is favored by various occult forces, which for a long time have been working for the overthrow of the Christian social order. Close quote, the victor of Christ. Okay, first off, we can see that the Pope is a conspiracy theorist here. Here we go. But, uh, so, you know, you get made fun of that. This is the Pope talking about a conspiracy. 
Another powerful factor is the conspiracy of silence on the part of a large section of the non-Catholic press of the world. That was written in March of 1937. Now just ask yourself, if that was true in 1937, has there been some kind of a great awakening, some kind of massive conversion in the press since then? I mean, the idea is laughable. The press is worse, not better, than it was in 1937. The conspiracy is as strong as ever. And what is the Pope talking about when he speaks of the various occult forces working for the overthrow of the Christian social order? Here the Pope is referring to those archenemies of the church, of whom his predecessor, Pius VIII, said, I quote, Their law is untruth, their God is the devil, their worship is shameful wickedness, close quote. These are the same ones of which Leo XIII wrote, quote, It is needless to put them upon their trial. They are already judged. Their ends, their means, their doctrines, and their actions are all known with indisputable certainty. Possessed by the spirit of Satan, whose instrument they are, they burn like him with a deadly and implacable hatred of Jesus Christ and of his work, and they endeavor by every means to overthrow and fetter it. That's the victory of Christ too. Okay, great, Father. So their God is a the devil. They're possessed by the spirit of Satan. They burn with a deadly and implacable hatred of Jesus Christ and of his work. So who are we talking about? These allies of atheistic communism, which the Pope is referring to, are the lodges. The Freemasons, the Shriners, the Oddfellows, the Illuminati, Skull and Bones. That's what he's talking about. Let's review quickly. We've seen the heirs of Russia spread so rapidly throughout the world by means of diabolical propaganda, which was shrewdly adapted to people in various states of life and poured out through the various mass media outlets from one source. We've also seen that the spread of these satanic lies by the communists have been aided by a conspiracy of silence in the non-Catholic press due to political concerns and Masonic influences. Part three, a quick survey of some of the principal errors pertaining to family life. We'll turn to a few of the pertinent errors of Russia concerning family life. In 1884, a series of errors later adopted by Russia were proposed in a work authored by the co-author of the Communist Manifesto. It's Karl Marx's par partner, Frederick Engels. His work is entitled The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State. Here's this basic argument. This stuff makes your head spin. Don't read it. Don't read it. We got enough. There's t the exorcists are busy enough. busy enough. Anyway, here's this basic argument. Private property has caused enslavement and oppression of women by men. Private property causes women to be oppressed. How does that follow? Well, over the course of their lives, men amass private property. And now they have this private property. They want to hand it on to their children. Okay, so what does that have to do with the oppression of women? Well, in the twisted logic of angles, everything. See, men are more physically powerful than women, right? Okay. They want to make sure this, this property goes to their children, right? So in order to make sure that their own kids get the inheritance, they have to use their superior strength. And what do they have to use it for? Pay attention. This is weird. A man needs to oppress his wife in order to make sure that all her children are really his children. Why? So that only his children will get his private property. Later, when the revolution is finally done away with private property, then women will no longer be oppressed because then there's no longer any economic reason for it. Well, it's completely whack besides an outrageous insult to the dignity of women, but that's how it works. That is how it works. It, you know, as a Marxist might say, it's the economy, stupid. So anyway, the basic argument 
is that a man needs to press his wife in order to make sure that all their children are really his children, so only his children uh, will get his private property. When communism is finally done away with private property, then women will no longer be oppressed because there's no longer any economic motive. Okay, so what does that have to do with us? Well, a Canadian author waded her way through a bunch of Engels' arguments and summarized eight key points. For the sake of time, we're not going to explore how they all uh, flow from Engels' uh, arguments, but once you grasp his, his basic argument, this whacked idea, if you put on your thinking cap, you can work out how these conclusions flow from it. Now, these are Marxist errors. So, as we go through them, everyone here should ask himself if he's ever heard any of these before. Engels' conclusions. First, women should be allowed to work in the factories on an equal basis with men. Second, divorce be made free and easy. Third, definite roles for the two sexes be eliminated. Fourth, the notion of woman as housekeeper be eliminated, housework being seen as an industry. Fifth, child care be communalized, as in as it takes a village to raise a child. Sixth, the stigma and even the concept of illegitimacy be eliminated. Seventh, the definition of family be made flexible and open. And eighth, sexual activity should be unrestrained. Now these are Marxist errors. The late great, just think about that. I think we've all heard every one of them. All right, here in America, uh, these particular errors of Russell are generally known as feminism. But that's just a general term. It's kind of, it's in the air. Our lady from Fatima meant what she said. She's the perfect mother warning her beloved children. Now the late great Father Hardin, he was an expert on Marxist philosophy, uh, has a few other closely related points drawn from other Marxist sources that are worth considering. I just paraphrased his work for the sake of time. Equal rights. Marxism holds that only absolute equality between men is legitimate. Because it's atheistic, it rejects any claims that the authority of the church and the state depend upon God. It denies that parents have any natural authority over their children. Marxism claims that the source and foundation of all authority is the community. In other words, no God over man, no pope, bishop, or priest over faithful, no husband over wife, no parents over children. The emancipation of women. Marxism rejects any link that binds women to the family and home. Woman's emancipation is absolutely essential in order to establish the classless society of the future. Women are first to be encouraged, and then, if necessary, forced to withdraw from the family in the care of children. <clears throat> Being a housewife and stay-at-home mom, mom are despised anti-revolutionary bourgeois activities. Women must be liberated from household chores and the rearing of a family by establishing child care centers so they can enter into public life and collective production under the same conditions of men, as men. As Nikolai Lenin said, quote, the success of a revolution depends upon the degree of participation by women. Close quote. No parental rights in education because women must be freed from being housewives and stay-at-home moms and enter into the ranks of the workers of the world. The state assumes a total responsibility for the education and training of children. The Communist Manifesto states, quote, free education for all children in public schools, close quote, which in Marxist terms means that the state alone has the right to educate. It also implies that the state, and not the parents, has the exclusive right to determine who shall teach, what the curriculum will be, what textbooks will be used, and how the matter is communicated. The Communist Manifesto states, quote, centralization of the means of communication in the hands of the state, close quote. So thank you, Father Hardin. Now all that should sound familiar as well. Our Lady of Fatima meant what she said. 
She's the perfect mother warning her children. Okay, so now when we see all this and we ponder it, it's easy to see why Father Harden used to frequently say that America is the most successful Marxist nation on earth. We have one Russian priest in our community. He's currently in Switzerland. He was over here. He's a convert from atheistic communism. That's a big surprise. But one of the things, I'm really good friends, so one of the things when he, uh, that he would joke with me about is he said, I never knew it would work till I got here. What would work, Father Vitali? Marxism. And then he had something that really kind of hurt, but I think it's true. He says, you know the difference between us and you? He said, no. He says, we resisted. Okay, so now we've considered briefly what might be called the Marxist-Leninist heirs of Russian regards the family. Let's take a quick look at a completely different point of view. We've looked at this before. Remember that in 1917, when Our Lady is speaking to the children, the Communist Revolution had not yet taken place. It's a month in the future. Russian Orthodoxy is still the official religion of that poor country. So once again, let's quickly consider two of the principal heirs of Orthodoxy that are of particular interest today on the Feast of the Holy Family. The first error pertains to marriage. We quote from an Orthodox website. The Orthodox Church recognizes the sanctity of marriage and sees it as a lifelong commitment. However, while the Church stands opposed to divorce, the Church and its concern for the salvation of its people, the Church and its concern for the salvation of its people does permit divorced individuals to marry a second and even a third time. While the church stands opposed to divorce, the church in its concern for the salvation of its people does permit divorced individuals to marry a second and even a third time. Second and third marriages are performed out of concern for the spiritual well-being of the parties involved and as an exception to the rule so to speak, close quote. All right, so one of the principal errors of Russia in respect to the Christian understanding of marriage is that they have totally and utterly corrupted the clear gospel teaching of our Lord regarding the indissolubility of marriage. In other words, while the Orthodox claim to be faithful to the teachings of Christ, they somehow uh, have, have calculated it's somehow permissible for a man to turn his wife in on a new model for a grand total of three wives. That in itself is a mystery to me. If a divorce followed by a so-called remarriage is okay, I don't see why the, the limit is three. Why can't you just keep going? Why can't you get a new one every year? I don't get this part. So there's three. So we can abuse the, our, the Lord's will three times and that, then you're still good to go for your spiritual well-being. The spiritual well-being like that is hell. That's where you're going to end up if you play that kind of game. Second error pertains to Holy Communion. The Orthodox allow these divorced and so-called remarried people to receive Holy Communion. And it's real communion because they're real priests. Our Lord is really present in the divine liturgy, in the Orthodox altars. In other words, by allowing a divorced person who is living in sin with someone who's not really a spouse, by allowing that person to receive Holy Communion, they officially teach that sacrilege is permissible. And in so doing, they have completely and totally corrupted the scriptural and apostolic teaching regarding the proper dispositions needed to receive Holy Communion worthily. There are no sort of drop-down example or exemptions from this. 
So these are just two of the religious areas of Russia which pertain to family matters. You don't need me to tell you that both of these areas, that of the church somehow recognizing people that are living in sin are somehow actually married, and then compounding that horrific and scandalous recognition by extending to these poor sinners who need our help to get out of that mess, by extending them instead an official invitation to make sacrilegious communions, have both been heavily promoted at the very highest levels of the church at the recent Synod on the Family. So that's the second angle, the religious errors of Russia pertaining to family matters. And you don't need me to tell you that these errors have spread through the one true church. You better be living the message of Fatima. Take it seriously. Okay. So we've quickly scanned the plans the devil has for families. It gives us some idea of why things are such in, a in such a catastrophic state today. At a later date, we'll look at heaven's plan for holy families. Let's close. On February 16, 2008, after celebrating Mass at the tomb of Padre Pio, Cardinal Carlo Cafara, his Archbishop of Bologna, granted an interview. We'll just ponder the Cardinal's answer to one question that was asked of him. Question. We know that you were given charge by John Paul II to plan and establish the Pontifical Institute for the Studies on Marriage and the Family. Cardinal Cafara. Yes, I was. At the start of this work entrusted to me by the servant of God, John Paul II, I wrote to Sister Lucia of Fatima through her bishop, as I couldn't do so directly. She was, she was silent. She wasn't, from, from uh, 1957 on, she was, she was not permitted except with permission from the Holy See to talk to anybody that wasn't her immediate family. Everybody else in the world, can, they've lifted the thing on, 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 uh, on talking about revelations and all that. So everybody else in the world can publish stuff without imprimatur and all that on revelation. There was only one person in the world for, for uh, about uh, over 50 years that couldn't talk about revelations. That's Sister Lucia. Isn't that something? Anyway. So, at the start of this word, entrusted me by the servant of God, John Paul II, I wrote to Sister Lucia of Fatima through her bishop, as I couldn't do so directly. Unexplainably, however, since I didn't expect an answer, seeing that I'd only asked for prayers, I received a very long letter with her signature, now in the Institute's archives. In it we find written, and now he's quoting from Sister Lucia, the final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid, she added. Because anyone who works for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be fought and opposed in every way. Because this is the decisive issue. And then she concluded, however, Our Lady has already crushed its head. Sister Lucia said that the final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about the marriage and the family. Don't be afraid because anyone who works for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be fought and opposed in every way because this is the decisive issue. Our Lady, however, has already crushed its head. Some final thoughts, encouraging thoughts from Sister Lucia. Quote, it is indeed sad that so, so many are allowing themselves to be dominated by the diabolical wave that is sweeping the world. And they are so blind that they cannot see their error. But their principal error is that they have abandoned prayer. I am convinced that the principal cause of evil in the world is the lack of union with God in prayer. The devil is very smart. and watches for our weak points so that he can attack us. If we are not careful, 
and attentive in obtaining the strength from God, we will fall because our times are very bad and we are weak. Only God's strength can sustain us. Take everything with calmness and with great confidence in God. He will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He will supply for our insufficiencies. Close quote, Sister Lucia. The principal cause of evil in the world is the lack of union with God in prayer. Say your rosary every day. Say your three Hail Marys every day. Make a fervent thanksgiving after you go to Holy Communion. You need that strength to get to the next time you get to Holy Communion. It really is soul food to get you through the battle. Don't be in a hurry after Holy Communion. Okay, so if you're a fireman and there's a fire, good enough. But other than that, take your time. Okay? And then take everything with calmness and with great confidence in God. He will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He will supply for our insufficiencies.